is going on, everybody? Welcome into the highlight, a, uh, as you know, very serious business podcast. And I only invite on the most serious people in the world. And I can see her face just shrieking with terror because Gina is a professional, but she's definitely not serious. She knows how to have a good time. I'm excited to share the highlight today with my good friend, uh, Gina Parker. How are you doing today? I am awesome. Chandler, how are you? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm I'm excited for this conversation. You are a uh, client of High B Marketing, so uh, we get to talk all the time. And I figured those conversations are so interesting because you come from a a sales coaching background and a sales professional background, and uh, I'm on the marketing side of things. So we have like what I call two sides of the same coin, and we we have really great conversations all the time. And I figured it'd be great to bring it to the public and let them actually uh, be a fly on the wall, so to speak. Just record one of these. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. And uh, and we can also get it out on your social media platforms later. So I'm like really making my job just slightly easier here. That's it. So, well, uh, I know who you are, obviously, but why don't you take a second and just uh, give everybody the, the quick rundown of who Gina Parker is? Oh, gosh. Well, I think I identify with certainly my career and my passion and platform. So I work with a company by the name of Southwestern Consulting in our division, Southwestern Coaching, and also our speaking division, Southwestern Speakers. So uh, my passion is to really be a catalyst of change. That's my purpose that I see that I get to where I exist really to help challenge people on what they think they know in order to open their mind and therefore doors to opportunities that otherwise wouldn't be available. And I see that I get to do that both as a coach, someone who exists to help people get more out of themselves than they otherwise could. Mm -hmm. So I get to challenge people on that coaching side, but also on the sales side, I get to challenge people on what they think they know um, to open their doors to opportunities. So um, my shtick, and I'm sure we'll get into this more, is the natural born salesperson. So I exist to challenge society on the fact that they think that sales is a negative. Mm. And I want to reframe society's perspective to help them see that selling is simply presenting an opportunity to someone and then bringing them to a decision on it. Yeah, so, I, I, this is one of my favorite things. That help? <laughs> no, that was great. And, and I think it's one of my favorite things about your content when we're getting to work with each other, because we have a lot of clients on a high bean side that are like really passionate entrepreneurs that sort of started this business from scratch and then built it up a little bit. And what we end up finding out is that they're really good at making the thing or doing the service and that they almost feel sort of sleazy for the first time for the first year or so of being in business about, about selling their product and service. And so I would love if you take just a second and, and sort of unpack what, where did the natural born salesperson come from? Like, why, why do we have such a negative stigma towards sales? Like, is it, is it just the used car movies from the eighties? Like, what's the deal? I think it's all of that. And the group think, uh, there is enough of the sales population that operates in a fashion of their own best interests, their own mm-hmm. self-interest that it has clouded over painted with a bite, a, a wide brushstroke so to speak, um, over the majority of the population that is selfless and honest and helpful and uh, consultative. So I think, yeah, just a a few bad apples have certainly corroded for the rest of us. Um, Also, I think this is just an interesting spin on psychology that like there are so many positive sales experiences that you and I have both had 
that we just wouldn't chalk up as a sales experience because it was so mm -hmm. good. It was so natural. It was so authentic. Like we don't realize that um, when we go to listen to someone speak, even at uh, say a church or a synagogue, like we are being sold <laughs> in that presentation, in that, that um, yeah, in that moment um, that we, when we go to the doctor and they convince us to do exercises or take certain medication, like we're being sold that we've been sold by our parents since the day we could, we could listen to them that we're constantly being sold. And even in a very um, real sales experience, when there is a, a good or service to be offered in exchange of money, even those experiences that were really positive, sometimes we didn't even realize that was a sales experience. So it's the negative ones that seem to corrode our mm. memory mind or yeah take on that stigma yeah i uh I've, I've heard you say this many times before but we're all in sales whether we like it or not and and you had a story one time and i think we might have made social content out of this even where you were trying to get people to go out to a, a happy hour or something like that and, and you you go through this exercise of of you have to you have to sell your friends on the idea of of going out to this place and so you know even though some of us may not have our incomes tied to the selling profession, so to speak, you know, you still have to sell inside of the organization. You have to sell an idea to your, to your leadership team. You have to sell an idea to the people that work for you. You have to sell an idea if you're in customer service, like, I mean, bless, bless the heart of everybody in customer service that I can only imagine in uh, the internet world. That's gotta be brutal. So, um, well, I, I, I love that. And I love the natural born sales stuff. If you, uh, if you want to learn more about it, we'll make sure to link it up in the podcast description today and, and give you more information about Gina, but but Gina, I would love to know your perspective on sort of more of the macro environment for, for sales professionals, because if you read the headlines now, you know, the media loves to, to lead with what bleeds and the new hot word is recession. I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sure that you've, you've been with your clients and seen them worry about it. Like when, when you think about the market in 2023 and sales professionals trying to navigate it and be, and be successful, like what are you what are you seeing as the biggest challenge? And then what is your advice to them to overcome that? I think it comes back to mindset that good news travels fast, bad news travels faster. And people start repeating the same news that they keep hearing. And these days we don't hear good news. There's, there's no, there's rarely any perspective or positive stories being shared about what's going on in our market economy. And uh, people start repeating what they hear, but they're not experts on the content or the topic. So I have certainly I have clients in the mortgage and the real estate industries that they're hearing negativity from their clients, but the clients, not the experts, <laughs> they're regurgitating what they hear on a, a, a podcast or in a, a news article. Mm. They're not the experts, but then the professionals themselves are getting bogged down and brought down by that weight of, I guess, misunderstanding. And are we in a recession? Yes, but there's always opportunity no matter the market. Yeah. So what is your, like, that's an interesting line. There's always opportunity no matter the market. I, I really love that. What is your, so it, it's mindset and is it just, you know, work the playbook that, that works for you? Is that the, is that the go through when, when times get tough, so to speak? I think um, I like to say that what got you here won't get you there, but that doesn't mean we stop doing the basics. Mm. Uh, I was on a a sales 
development, um, I guess, planning call with a sales manager yesterday. And she said, we need to be, we need to be retooling and sharpening our saw. Like we have to have something fresh to be able to leverage and separate ourselves from mm -hmm. the competition, but it's still the basics. And she pointed out two very specific things to sales. Um, and she's right that we've got to focus on the basics. We've got to see people. We've got to be asking for the business. Uh, we've got to be serving people. We've got to keep our prospects best interests in our heart. And if we truly believe in what we're selling and what we're offering, then we can't help but to tell people about it, we can't help mm -hmm. but to sell it. Um, I think there's, yeah, the basics, but to what this manager had said, absolutely. I think that the different, the thing that we need to do different is the retooling, um, finding something, a, a new slight edge, something to make sharp that as resistant as I know that I can be to change, that sitting in a place of why is this happening? Why does it have to be this way? When is it going to change? Like when we ask those kinds of questions, our brain searches for an answer and typically the answer shows up in a form of an excuse. Mm. But if yeah. we can shift from why <laughs> to what can I do about it? That changes everything. Yeah. And so when you take ownership, yeah. So how can I leverage knowledge? What can I retool? What can I learn? What can I do? Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh it's almost like you're happening to the market versus letting the market just happen to you all the time because it, it is a, I, I'm, I'm victim of this a lot too, in that you, you will have a week where just bad things happen. I mean, just, you, you sort of hit a weird streak of bad luck and just some, some things come up that you didn't see happening. And then, uh, it's, you start looking around and you just go like, well, this is just life now. And, and I think it's very easy in those moments to get away from, um, the things that you do know that work. And, and just sort of wallow in your self-pity almost and just say, well, this is the market and this is now how it is. And, and, and you lose, um, you lose time. I mean, at the end of the day, you're going to lose precious time to continue to build your business because it is a, uh, sales takes time. And if you stop doing the fundamentals, the prospecting, uh, the referral network building, all the stuff you talk about all the time on your channels, like then you're going to lose all that momentum. And the only reason you stopped wasn't because you saw results change. It was because you heard it from the outside that you're supposed to feel this way. And then you decided to just listen to him, which is like, which is just dangerous. So I think that's great advice. Like as salespeople, we want to close. Like we have this like aggressive nature of like, I'm trying to, to, to sell everybody. I'm trying to constantly be prospecting. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a lot of action. It's very easy to sort of forget the prospects needs in that. And so like, how do you balance your need for as a sales professional wanting to hit your numbers and hit your goals and all the things you have, but keeping your prospects actual needs and desires ahead of your own. Like, why is that beneficial? How do you actually do that? Yeah. So how do you balance? I want to make the sale with mm -hmm. it needs to be the right people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you got to start with conviction, <laughs> but we've all had customers that we wish we wouldn't have touched with a 10 foot pole. Mm -hmm. We need to remember that. Yeah. There are people we are not designed to do business with. There are people who should not be our clients. There are people we can't serve. We want to serve, but we can't. We're not the right fit. And that's okay. Mm. So I think it's it's actually remembering um, what goes into serving your client. And is this someone that you really believe you can help? And if you were in their shoes, is this the choice? Is the choice that you want to convince them to make? Is that a choice you would make? 
If you can say yes to those two things, you better not hold back. Yeah. I have found in my career that it's, it, it tends to always work out better for me, even if I lose a sale, to, to say this one line. Listen, John, Sarah, whomever I'm talking to, if, if I owned your business or if I was in your position, this is what I would do. And I have literally told people not to hire us as a company just because I, I don't think what we offered would help them in their current situation. You know, they might be a startup business that's uh, needing to do more cold calling and more like aggressive prospecting to get sales in the door versus like a long-term marketing strategy. And, and I don't know, it's worked out so far, but it, it does hurt a little bit on the inside to go, man, that, that client would have gotten us a little closer to some goals and like would have been, would have been nice to have, but you're so right. There are, there's clients that you're just not going to enjoy working with, even if you close them. And then what happens is, is 90 days later, after 90 days of just hell of you just dealing with them all the time, because they're always more needy. It never goes well. It's never smooth. It's always like there's a cost to that money you made. And then they, they churn out as customers. And basically you've made a little bit of money and you've had customer churn and you weren't able to go find an actual client that fit um, what you were looking for, right? That happened to us early on. High Beam's just over a year old. And I would say like, maybe this was the third client we ever had. We were saying yes to everybody. And I, I didn't really, I didn't really talk to you yet about it. And I should have looped my friend in and been like, Hey, what do you think about this? But I was just, I was taking all business. And this guy, he was so far away from needing what we did and we took him on. And in my gut, I knew, I knew it wasn't going to be a good fit, but I like justified it away. And like, man, it was, it was a nightmare. That was the worst experience that we've had with a customer to date. And it was because he wasn't a good fit for us. He didn't like what we delivered. He didn't like anything that was happening, but you know, we said yes and we went forward with the deal and it, it, it cost us time for sure. Just keeping that cost. Yeah. The keeping that in the back of your mind and in a selling scenario, as you embark on new and future clients, sometimes it's not worth it. And just because it's a no from them today, doesn't mean that they're not going to, mm shift and be the right client later. And in fact, yeah. we both know what it means to us as an individual for a professional to say, you know what, I'm not the person. Like the instant trust and respect that if, if that individual or if you or I ever had the opportunity to do business with them again in the future, if it was right, we would call them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they, they acted in your best interest to your point earlier and not in their own and, and, People really believe that when you take money out of your pocket and give it back to them, basically by telling them no, they there's inherent trust built automatically. That actually brings something interesting up. How important is trust building in the sales process to you? Well, uh, pretty dang important. <laughs> people don't buy. I mean, we've all heard people don't li buy if they don't like and they don't trust us, mm -hmm. and that that. We can believe maybe 25% of what someone else is saying, but who do we believe 100%? Oh, I would guess I believe me 100%. Yeah, yeah. And so one way to establish trust, I guess you're not asking this question, but trust is incredibly important. No, my follow-up question is how do, we, how do we do it? <laughs> it's by showing more interest be interested. Oh, oh, Dale Carnegie, 
Mm-hmm. I can't take that from him. That's that's who says this. Be more interested than you are interesting. Mm. People don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. And it's easy to show how much we care by being curious, asking mm. questions, showing interest. Mm-hmm. It also helps us do a really good job as a sales professional by understanding who is this person? What do they need? Can I truly fill their void or not? Mm-hmm. What do you think is so hard for new salespeople and maybe even some really bad seasoned sales professionals? I don't know how they stay in it without figuring this out, but the the ability to ask questions and do what you're talking about, like, is it is it a... Like they, they, they have a self-esteem issue or is it a just confidence issue? Like why can't new salespeople really understand the how and what question model and then just the shutting up and listening? Mm. Ooh, okay. Give me a second to, to ponder on this one. Um, I think it's nerves. Mm. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's your go-to. It's like, I know my product. I can just talk about my product. I think it's absolutely nerves. Um, some, yeah, I mean, it's, isn't that what we do, right? When we get nervous in any scenario, we just flap our lips <laughs> and sales is simply communication. So when we get nervous and we don't feel like we know what we're doing, which we don't when we're new to sales, I think that's a, a go-to. Yeah. Yeah. You just, uh, what is it? You just get the motor mouth going and you can't, you can't stop yourself. I've heard you say this before. It's like word vomit, right? You just, you get on the phone and, and you can't believe somebody actually answered almost. And then it's just like, and you just let it run. And then you look up two minutes later and they're like, please, dear God, let me off the phone versus what I'm hearing you suggest is flip it. And then say, you know, have you ever struggled with X? You know, what is that costing you? And then you start the how, what question framework after that. Right. So um, I guess right. I'm wondering what, how, how, I mean, I'm not sure what, how, what framework you're specifying, but absolutely asking questions. Yes. Yeah. No, it's not, it's not like a specific, like Gina Parker, it's just general, like communication 101 is just, it's better to ask a what question because it gets a open-ended story going versus like, I don't love to ask yes and no questions, at least when I'm doing sales, you know, it's, um, it, it gets people answering automatically versus engaging their like thoughtful side of their brain. And so I, I'd love to get them like emotionally engaged um, with, with like when you're asking like, how are, you know, how are you doing in this economy? And then they start telling you a story and they like, they're starting to feel that pain. And then you as the salesperson, right? You should be able to, to sort of, if it's a good fit with your product or service, flip that into, Hey, here's how we can solve that with you. Um, and go from there. So prospecting is a huge part of the sales process, Gina. And, and, and I learned this from you because when I, when we met, it was like, you were literally our first client. I don't know if you knew that or not, but literally one of our very first clients, the actual very first client really? yeah, I uh, think you're that signed. I thought I was yeah. maybe one or two. <laughs> well, we had like three or four people that we were closing at the same time, but you were the first one to actually like say yes and send money, which is the most important part. That's, and, that's uh, I had a client. <laughs> yep. And and the thing I didn't know that I know now after working with you for a year is that we should have been prospecting way more than we were. We were very much just relying on um, people to just bring us business and just say, hey, you know, we know these guys, they do marketing, you know, see if they can help you, da, da, da. And that's great to have that word of mouth stuff, but we couldn't really control it. And we didn't really, you know, it, it's so unpredictable to know when people are going to recommend you, but actually working a prospecting plan I've learned is a great way to build 
build a uh, sales funnel out. So why do you love prospecting and, and what do, what do people get wrong about prospecting and, and how can they get it right? I was hoping you were going to ask me, what do you think about prospecting? And then I could say it depends on the day. <laughs> you know what? All the things I just said about prospecting, what do you think about prospecting? It depends on the day, Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> no, I mean, there are days, and, and you know what it is? It's if I go into that period, also, if I have it planned, that helps. Mm. So if I go into a planned period and I am actually planned for that prospecting session, then I look forward to it. And if I'm planned, that means that I know who I'm calling. I can take the emotion and the thought out of it and I can just execute. Also, that probably means that I've done a really good job of asking for referrals and building out a, li a list that's actually warm versus cold. So on those days, I love it. And then there are other days where I've let my habits slide for mm. time. I'm human too. <laughs> and then I'm not prepared. And maybe I do have the time on my calendar, but then I'm just dreading it because mm. I'm not ready. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what I love about prospecting is that it is the lifeblood to our business. I love that in my profession as a, you know, specifically, I tend to work with sales professionals and owners of companies, executives of sales organizations. Mm -hmm. I love that I get to be a practitioner of what I'm preaching. I love that about prospecting. And I love the, I think it goes back to my purpose statement that I exist to challenge people on what they think they know. So I get to be a practitioner of what I preach um, and challenge people to open them to doors of opportunities that wouldn't otherwise exist. Yeah. And I will say that's one of the cool things about you as a, as a coach and thought leader within the sales space is that you actually do have to still, um, practice what you preach. Like it's not coming from an ivory tower. There's no theory in what you're doing because you are out there actually executing the things you're telling other people to do on a daily basis. And I think that brings a ton of credibility to the message that you, you bring to anybody that, that brings you into their organization. So that's my plug for, for Gina. That's uh you know, that's, that's a hundred percent free ad read. This episode's brought to you by Gina Parker. I think that's, that's where I'm at now. So no, thank you. I really appreciate that you noticed that because being a practitioner is really important to me yeah. at least. And I think it is to a lot of clients. Yeah. Well, I mean, from where I sit, the, the marketing side of things, digital, the internet's great because it, it opened it up for everybody. Like it, it really got rid of the middlemen. It made it so that it was very easy to get your message out there and to find other people that resonate with what you're talking about and, and ultimately become prospects and then customers, hopefully. But the downside of that is that it also opened up for all the snake oil salesmen and, and guru and whatever else other word you want to put in there. And now they easily can get their message out as well. And so what I see in my line of work is a constant stream of people that have theories or they took one course one time and now their business model is selling courses and it's, it's, it's this whole negative thing and they don't actually ever go out and, and speak from experience. Like they don't actually have the, uh, the, the stories, the, uh, the crying in the Burger King parking lot stories and, and all that stuff. I don't know if you want to tell that story today, but, uh, but like that's, that's the sort of realism you have to have. Um, and the authentic experience you have to have, if you want to be a real, um, practitioner of sales, like you have to be in the trenches doing the selling. Otherwise, like nobody's going to be able to trust you or believe you. Hmm. And we, as clients, prospects, future clients, we can figure that out quickly enough. Um, mm. yeah, I think there are a lot of pretenders in all industries out there. 
And that, yeah, I think that's where certain stigmas in different industries come from too. Yeah. Uh, but once we learn our lesson, <laughs> we know we know what not to look for. Yep. Yeah, we, we get the sniffer out. We try to find the, the bad smell as quickly as possible. So I've got a, a little bit of a curveball question, and we ask everybody that comes on the show and, and we, we bring in for the conversation, they got to all answer this question. So it's called the 10X question. If I could 10X your budget today, like let's say I just magically won that Powerball drawing and I didn't, that's why I'm still here doing the podcast and not on a beach in Mexico. If I, if I could 10X your budget tomorrow as a... Let's 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 give some parameters around it. It, it. Let's say you were a sales leader of a sales team, and I could 10x your budget for that team or to to make the team a better functioning team. Like, what would you spend the money on to make sure you had the best sales team on the planet? Ooh. <laughs> you don't have to spend it all at once. You can spend it over a year. You can do whatever you want with it. So to make sure that I have the best sales team. On the market, I would invest into recruiting development, developing our recruiters, our leaders that are recruiting to find the right people. I would invest into teaching them the difference between recruiting and interviewing. I would invest into our onboarding processes, making sure that we are clear of the culture that we have developed or that we are redeveloping it into the culture that we want it to be, uh, that we have a company creed, that we have onboarding steps and processes that we understand how long it takes to onboard someone that we have a literally a script written for everything that mm -hmm. we do. Um, I would make sure that we have, yeah, uh, competitive pay for our leaders as well. So we can keep them here. Mm -hmm. uh, what else would I invest in? I would invest into the, this is all pretty biased, but I would invest into the sales training of my people. So whether that's pouring more into my sales leaders and developing them to get outside ideas so that they mm. can provide that to the sales team or investing into outside coaching, speaking, training for the sales team. I think all of those things sound great. Um, and marketing certainly isn't a bad idea either. It never sucks when you can get someone to call you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Have some advertising that helps balance your own proactive efforts. Yeah, there's nothing there's there's uh there's a little bit of a stigma I think with being an order taker as a salesperson, but it makes the job a little easier when the client just comes in, just tell me where to sign. It's it's much it's much simpler when that works out that way. So, <laughs> something you said in there really was interesting. When you're talking about developing, I, I'm a big believer in personal development. If you're on the YouTube channel, you can see all the books behind me. Like I read way too much, way too much content. Sometimes to a detriment. I needed to do more versus uh, consuming more. Some days, depending on the day. Um, but when you're talking about building out, um, training methods for your team and you're, you're looking at training, like if you can only cho choose between training the team as a whole or training your leaders and hoping that they go out and then inspire and develop the team, like which one of those do you think is more effective if you could, if you could only choose one leaders, the leaders. Yeah. I mean, Why is that? They're steering the ship. Wet noodles can't teach people. You can't lead where you won't go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no matter how, if you're teaching or if you're really investing into just the people, the salespeople and not the leaders, well, they're not going to keep following the leaders and you're going to lose them. Yeah. If the if the salespeople's confidence and their own expertise starts to exceed the confidence of the leaders because you're not investing in the leaders, yeah, the salespeople are going to leave. Yeah. Is that why 
turnover on sales teams tends to be so high? Because you also, you spent a lot of your answer for the 10X question talking about onboarding. And it does feel like we just, mm -hmm. as sales professionals, sometimes we're like, just get the next warm body in here. And if they make it, they make it. And if not, you know, we'll find somebody else. Like, does that tend to be what you see across the board? I don't think that is what I see across the board. I see mm. it. Um, I think that there is, that's why I'm in this business in the first place. I do know that there is a lack of sales psychology training, sales best practices, sales protocol, sales acumen. You can teach someone everything there is to know about a widget. You can teach them everything there is to know about your company, technology and nuances and processes and procedures. But if they have all this knowledge and you say, okay, here it is, now go do something with it. You're like a five-year-old kid waiting for the bus and you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> you're just trying to figure out how do I go find the right people? And mm. if they won't call me back, how do I get them to call me back? Or I keep getting this objection. Yeah, I think mm. uh, a lack of sales training is a big reason for turnover. Yeah. Is there like a certain amount of time every week that those teams should be spending on training? I, I've heard some people say they do it once a quarter, all the way to, I've seen some sales teams that do it um, weekly, sometimes twice a week. Like, do you have a, do you see from all the sales teams you work with a good frequency? I would say, gosh, uh, I was going to say, I'd be making up a number if, if, if you're asking me this question, but in terms of frequency, if you were asking me for hours, I don't know that I could say, but frequency and it's about keeping your saw sharp. We are mm -hmm. constantly taking in new information. Our market, our clients' needs are constantly changing. That if we're not sharp for the newest objection or the newest spin on hurdles that we're running into, if we're not taking time, then yeah. So I'd say weekly at the very least. Um, yeah. As far as hours, I think that's going to vary per sure. person. And yeah, whether that's an individual taking time on their own to keep their own saw sharp or a sales mm -hmm. company, sales organization, sales team meeting weekly to go over sales training. The, the truth of the matter is that most sales meetings are not sales meetings. They're um, updates, mm -hmm. state of the union address. Um, here's where we're at. Let's talk about what you guys are, what you got going on this week. It's not, how do you elicit a response from someone who's not calling you back? Um, how do you prevent someone from saying, I need to talk to so-and-so? How do you prevent the procrastination objection? That doesn't really exist in most organizations. So how would you run a sales meeting? Is it, is it more of a training type meeting or is it, is there a place for training and data communication? Like you need both. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. But you're saying they just, they hammer on the, the data communication and like, get your numbers up. <laughs> I don't know. That's always militant, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> In fact, I don't think there is a lot of focus on numbers and a lot of sales meetings. Um, I think maybe there might be some high level um, lag indicators. Mm -hmm. Like here's our performance, but we don't look at the lead indicators. Like, Hey y'all, um, our, our prospecting phone calls are half of what we did last week let's talk about that what's what's going on or you know what our credit polls 
are a third this month than they were last month. What's going on? Um, mm. I think people tend to focus on what's currently happening, the lag and the lead. Yeah. Hmm. You can't rectify the lag. <laughs> yeah. I don't, why do you think we do that? Like what is, what is the, the driver of that for leaders in, in those sales teams? You know, it's even easy for me to not look at my numbers enough. Like I probably do it on a, at least every other week basis to like look at my ratios and to see how does this month compare to last month or how does this month compare to the same month last year? Um, why don't we do it more often? I think it's probably for the right reasons. We think about vision and goal setting and thinking to the future. That we It's almost like we're missing the blocking and tackling, right? It's like the, the basics of, you know, you need to do X number of, of prospecting calls a week. And just because you have one good week, maybe you let it slide. And then that turns into two or three weeks in a row. And then those, all of a sudden those lagging indicators are showing up. And that's, um, I, I do think there's a level of like, uh, discipline that needs to happen at some level, right? Where you're, you're saying, I said I was going to do 10 cold emails this week. And like, did I do them or 10, 10 cold calls this week? Did I do them or 10 cold calls a day or, or whatever it is for your industry? Like, there is a, uh, I think there's a level to that, that, that has to happen, or you're just, I don't know. You can't create predictable results or at least stabilize your results. I know sales can be cyclical, but, well, but I don't know. That, like we've also got to, like, I, I feel bad for a lot of salespeople that are forced to track their activity. Now I'm going to finish this statement Yeah. <laughs> out observing it. Mm. What do you mean because by that? We're just like, I did my 10 calls. I did my 10 calls. I did my 10 calls. But we're not seeing how many people responded. Like, how many people did you get in touch with? Yeah. Um, how many people did you book appointments with? Like, if you don't see, oh, you're getting in touch with 40% of your leads. And, oh, you are booking appointments with 10% of them. Like, if I'm just tracking the activity, that doesn't tell me anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel bad for salespeople that are forced to track, but then they or their leader isn't spending any time observing or teaching them how to observe what the numbers are saying. Yeah. There's always a little bit of nuance that's uh, required. You can't just brute force it. It's it. That's good. That's like, you made 10 calls, but like, did you talk to four people or did you talk to eight? Did you talk to none? Cause maybe we have a, a list building problem. We, maybe we have uh, you exactly. can't carry on the first 30 <laughs> seconds of a new call conversation. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So then at least as a sales leader, you can go in and say, okay, here's where you Sally are specifically struggling on the phone and in the flow of the process. And because we have a well-documented system, like you pointed out earlier, you can actually say, here's where it works for everybody else mostly. And like, here's where we can bring you in to, to, to elevate your game and, and get you on board with everybody else. I love that. Well, la last question here is a little bit of a fun one. I know you live out in Colorado, the wild, the wild West, I think at some point is what that area was. What is your favorite I don't know, thing to do or activity or like, why do you love living out that way so much? Ooh, well, I always think about every single time I take 70 out West to go skiing and you come over the foothills, it always and still takes my breath away. I've lived here for, I think nine years now, still takes my breath away. Yeah. <laughs> uh, certainly the sights uh, when you head out West, but Denver, I mean, 300 days of sunshine. I think, you know what it is? Very few bugs. 
There's very few bugs in Denver. This is not Nashville, Tennessee. This is not oh Seattle, South Dakota, yeah. where I grew up. Um, yeah, there's actually very few bugs and low humidity. So curly mm. hair, we appreciate that. <laughs> uh, yeah, can I say that's what I love about Denver? <laughs> I think that's a great reason. I think I think a lot of people would would agree. I know the outdoor sports there are year round. I mean, it depends on if summer it's it's hiking and a lot of mountain biking and stuff like that, lakes, and then. Wintertime, it's it's the snow sports, it's all that good stuff. So, nice. I I love Colorado. It's one of my favorite places uh, to go visit. I don't get to get out there as much as I can. I remember the first time I flew into Colorado, it was exactly like you described because I'm from South Georgia originally, which is like a swamp. It's hot and there's pine trees everywhere and it's just brutal, and and it's really kind of flat with like random hills. It's very it's a very boring terrain. Mm -hmm. uh, but the first time I flew into Denver's airport and it was just the most insane thing ever to fly towards it sort of, I think we banked left and leveled out. And then all of a sudden my window was like looking at the Rockies and it's just so flat. And then all of a sudden this beautiful, massive mountain range just shows up and uh, it is, it is breathtaking. It is very cool. I don't think I could ever get used to that. That would that's a crazy view. So yeah, we do get some amazing sunsets in general yeah. as well. Yeah. Well, it is approaching winter time now when we're recording this, depending on when you're listening. I hope you survive the winter. I hope you stay warm in your uh, beautiful new home there and your your fancy feng shui wall behind you, which I think is amazing and love. And I can't wait to see you film hundreds of videos over the next 30 days with that new fancy background. Video content. I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're bringing all the video content. We now have it on recorded it's a fact. It has to happen now. And Gina's promising all the stuff. So go check out her Instagram. We'll link all that stuff up. Uh, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the show. I thank you so much for taking the time. This is amazing. This has been very helpful for all of our audience. And, and to everybody that's listening, we appreciate you. If you need help with anything, please reach out to either of us. We'd be happy to serve if we can. And until next week, we'll see you.